Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. And that's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And we continue in this series called Do-Over with a message called A Financial Do-Over. Pastor Sean wants to challenge you today. Question your contentment knowing that the wages of spend is debt. This is Real Life Radio. I think we all recognize we have these conversations when it comes to money and realize that in some ways we're messed up. I mean, if we're just going to really be honest, we just have to stop and say, when it comes to this issue of money, resources, finances, uh, we can get absolutely messed up. I mean, when you stop and think about it, money for a lot of people is a significant problem. You know, we can laugh and chuckle about some of the more minor stuff, but then when it gets down to reality, there's some serious issues that people run into. Article on uh, Psychology Today, just a blog that deals with different psychology, and and a gentleman named Professor Arthur Dobrin has a regular blog there. He's an author, ethicist, professor. And he just did a brief blog and talked about the problem with money. He quotes Peter Weibrow of the Semmel Institute of Neuroscience and Human Behavior. They contend that in a way, we are hardwired to seek the rewards of money and possessions. And what he means by that, we get things and money and there's a dopamine that is actually released in us. The same chemical that is released when consuming caffeine or cocaine. And his contention is that our system, and he's not ripping on our system, he says our capitalism, with its unrivaled ability to generate wealth, can actually, for many people, become addictive. And with any, as with any addictive addiction, there is a price to be paid. And his contention is that the cost is generally relational. It's in frayed or broken relationships. Families, friends, sacrifice at the altar of work and consumption. He says it has a strange, money has a strange and powerful effect on people. It prods people to be productive. But it, as, it, it, as it does, it does it at the expense of their relationships. And it really is an observable thing. Dobrin talks about studies, and he cites a couple studies where people were primed with words to make them think about money. They were primed with words and images and things that got them thinking about finance. And then they were kind of set to do some tasks. And whenever they were primed with issues of money, finance, versus another group that was primed with neutral concepts, the people who were primed with financial concepts asked for help less, and they offered help less. They offered to help others much less. They became more isolated. And I really have to tell you, if you pay attention and observe, there is something, there is a correlation to As we grow in our wealth and our finances, we also grow in our privacy and isolation. One of the things we observe, we used to work down regularly. I mean, we still do. We partner with ministries who do this. But you remember, we started working down in Victoria Courts, San Antonio Housing Project. It was just south of downtown. 
One of the things we observed is that while there are all kinds of hang-ups, and there's poverty in these areas, and there's hang-ups associated with, it, with that, we also saw a different kind of openness in the people. Because of the way they operate, because of the way that they kind of have to interact, you could just walk through and start talking to people, and it was normal. Whereas if I went to maybe your neighborhood or mine, and you just start talking, it's a little more kind of you're crossing boundaries. I mean, we have our privacy fences. We have our areas that are marked off. read an interesting study years ago, talked about the different classes of people and how for people to move from, say, the lower socioeconomic class and placement and move into middle class or placement or move into upper class, if that's what they wanted to do, they had to leave their others behind. And that often had a significant cost. And this psychologist who wrote this particular book contended that one of the elements of lower socioeconomic groups is relationally they're a little more connected and open more dependent on each other more relationally free and that as people rise up that changes think about all of the issues that people have with money think about the fear-based obsession the addiction the greed i have to tell you i truly believe more families that we interact with are hurt by this addiction than by alcohol or drug addiction. Think of all the relational conflict, the imbalance, the isolation that can happen. Think of the consumerism that we can laugh about it, but it also can become such a huge problem. Think of debt. Think of how many people are crippled with debt. They're just not free. Think of our government. Think of our $17 trillion debt, and that doesn't include the long-term liabilities that we have, but it's $17 trillion in actual debt that we have right now as a nation. Think of the idea that we have so much poverty in what is really the richest nation in the history of the world. I mean, so when you stop and think about it, there's all these problems that, that our financial mess-ups can kind of create, but one of the biggest is the good that can't be done. People who sit and go, oh, I'd love to do something. I'd love to do something great. I just can't because I can't afford it. I don't have the money. I feel God nudging me to do something, but I can't. I'm bound. I got this debt I got to pay. I got, I got to keep this job. I hate it, but I make enough so I have to stay here. I think God's nudging me and I, this, this looks so cool. I'd love to go do this. I'd love to be a part of this, but I can't. I can't afford it. Think of all the good, all the vision that isn't accomplished because we're trapped. You know, we're in this series called Do-Over and last week we talked about a vision do-over and we saw that the foundation of a new vision is a new name. You remember we looked at Jacob and we saw that that idea of that new name dealt with who he was and we saw it's, it deals with who you are whose you are and where you're headed all tied up in this idea of a new vision based on a new name and i truly believe one of the biggest vision busters that we face is finances it really is i think it cripples great vision and great possibility in so many people's lives and the reality is it doesn't have to be that way and as christians i think god has given us a way to be free so today we're going to talk about a financial do-over and i want every one of us to kind of pay attention because i truly believe there are people in this room who if we'll get serious about this today we can be set free do you believe that do you believe in the power of the word of god to set you free because in this area there is no help out there you need to know that like there is zero help out there. In fact, you start doing your finances differently and walk according to the word of God, there are going to be people who, who look at you like, well, what, what are you doing? Why, why, why aren't you consuming at the same pace as the rest of us? Oh, don't worry, put it on the card. 
you will truly find yourself moving counterculture when you start to understand the biblical ethic of finances, but you also find yourself in such an amazing place of blessing, peace, joy. When we operate in God's economy, resources become a blessing and a powerful force for good. When we operate in the flesh, in the carnal nature, kind of the self-consuming, selfish perspective that we are taught culturally, even more resources can just become more of a curse. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 13. This is a real study in contrast. Genesis 13, I want you to see this. Very important passage of Scripture. It's in the life of Abram. It's before God changed his name. God really is into changing names. He changed this gentleman Abram's name to Abraham as he made him the father of a nation. You remember last week we saw him change Jacob's name to Israel. Genesis 13, I'm going to begin at verse 1. We read, so Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Now, you remember, Abraham had been called out to follow this God who his father hadn't followed, his grandfather hadn't followed, and he just obeyed. He went not knowing where this God would lead him. And remember, his nephew Lot went with him. Verse 2 tells us Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Abraham had left everything. He wasn't a wealthy man when he left. But God, as Abraham followed him, blessed him. And the scripture is pretty plain. just says he became wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. So you see him following the Lord in this. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, his nephew, also had flocks and herds and tents. By going with Abraham, by being just the residual effect of Abraham's blessing, Lot, too, became a pretty affluent individual. He had lots of herds and wealth. So verse 6 tells us the land couldn't support them. While they stayed together, for their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. Quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. It inserts, parenthetically, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. We're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Look at verse 10 and note what it says. Lot looked around and he saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar. And he saw that it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. This was, of course, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The scripture gives us a little reminder of what's coming. Okay, we know the story. Verse 11, So Lot chose for himself a whole plain of Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. But that didn't really figure into Lot's equation. We want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in a series called Do-Over. If you'd like to hear this full, unedited message, it's available right now as a free download at the River City website called reallife.org. Just look for the sermon link. And if you think you'd like to come visit River City, well, here's an invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. 
Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. Welcome back as we return to this message called A Financial Do-Over. This is Real Life Radio. Now, I have to tell you, from a Middle Eastern perspective, this is a terrible story. If we were sitting here talking to some people who were Middle Eastern and who understood particularly ancient Middle Eastern culture, they would look at the story and they would see some real problems with it. And we, in our American mindset, might not recognize what the problem is. There's a couple things. First of all, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, there was a high regard and respect for the elder, for the patriarch, for the senior member. And Lot shows an alarming disregard in the way he approaches. But there's a second factor that I think is really important. It was the way negotiation was done in their cultures. We do negotiation kind of like you see Lot do here. We go, and if I'm going to try to buy something, you're going to try to sell it, okay? You're going to come, and you're going to understand, hey, we may have to negotiate, so here's what I'd like to get, knowing that here's what i got to get. But you'd be here, give yourself some room to negotiate, because you know me, I'm coming in down here. Oh, no, here's what, I, here's what I got. And then we go back and forth, and we come to a place where we finally come to something agreeable. We come to a negotiation. That's how negotiation works in our culture. Every person defending their own position, representing their own interests. That's how we do it. That's not how they did it. In fact, there's a great example in Genesis 23. Remember when Abraham had to buy a, a grave site, a cave and a plot of land to bury his wife Sarah after she passed away. You remember, he asked the inhabitants of the land who knew him, he said, I want to buy that plot in that cave. And they said, no, no, Abraham, you're a good man, just take it. And Abraham says, no, no, I couldn't. I need to pay full price. No, no, Abraham. And they go back and forth, and it's like they're each arguing the other's position. And they ultimately come to a price, and Abraham pays the price, but it's totally different. It's this courteous, I'm concerned for you, and no, 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 I couldn't. And they come to that place, and they both know where they need to come. And they end up, at the same, they just do it backwards. Lot totally went right past that. Lot, what he should have done when Abraham says, you know, Lot, you choose. We, we obviously have this problem. You choose, Lot. Lot should have said, no, no, my father Abraham. His uncle, but he, should have, he was the senior. He, was the he should have said, no, no, you go ahead and choose first. And if it were a real negotiation, Abraham might have said, well, no, 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 that's obviously the better. And Lot might have said, well, no, but this. And they, they, they would have gone back and forth. There's no negotiation here. Abraham says, you choose. Lot says, okay, I'll take that. Look at that water. Look at those pastures. Look, yeah, that's good. Abraham, you can take that rocky land over there. And Abraham's like, all right, he says, okay. Why, why did this happen? We see an incredible difference between Lot and Abraham. And what is it? The difference is one had his eyes on property. The other had his eyes on a promise. Abraham knew that God had promised to bless him with the land. He didn't need to fight for that land. Abraham knew his God had promised to bless his descendants, to make him a great nation, and to give him a great land. And such was that confidence. And he never gave it a second thought. We know the choice was disastrous for Lot, right? He almost lost his daughters. 
Everything went up in smoke, and by that I mean literally, he lost it all. He ultimately lost his wife. We stop and think about Lot's wife in light of this negotiation. She had learned exactly what her husband wanted her to learn. Remember when Sodom and Gomorrah is being destroyed, Lot's wife is heading out and she looks back. She's just like Lot. He'd led his family and his family responded exactly the way he responded. Verse 10, you remember I asked you to take note of that. In this negotiation, Lot looked around the land and we never see Abram looking around. But now, as we head on into verse 14, we see now Abraham is not only free to look around after Lot leaves, he's instructed to look around. Verse 14, the Lord then said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, all the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. Wait a minute, north, south, east, west, are there any other directions? No, that's pretty much it, right? Even where Lot was going, <laughs> Abraham says, look around. God says, look around, Abraham. I'm going to give it all to you. All the land you see, I'll give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land. I'm going to give it to you. Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. You know what's funny? As we look at Abraham's life, He's never pursuing money. Here, when the king of Sodom, later after, after Abraham helps in a rescue, tries to make him wealthy, Abraham says, no, 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 you keep the money. I don't need any money from you, lest, lest it ever be said that you made me wealthy. Abraham, giving away money at every turn, walking away from wealth, and yet God keeps making him rich. It's like God's looking at him and saying, Abraham, you can't outgive me. But I love your heart for trying. See, in this study of contrast, we see Lot was his own provider. He approached this negotiation. He approached everything really in life. Got to take care of number one. Abraham's provider was the Lord, and it created an entirely different framework. Everything that flowed from the guy was different because of that. Abraham's confidence, his generosity, and I dare say his financial blessing that he experienced all came from the fact that God was his provider. And my challenge for us this morning is real simple. Your financial do-over isn't found in a new plan. It's found in a new provider. Taking notes, write that one down. Your financial do-over isn't found in a new plan. It's found in a new provider. I think a lot of us in this room probably every few years have to stop and look at where we are in this issue of resources. And a lot of us would recognize, you know, we need a do-over. Whether it's debt, whether it's where we've invested, where are we giving in the way we want to, whatever it is, we just recognize, you know, some of this feels out of control. I just want to say to you, your financial do-over isn't found in a new plan, but like Abraham, it's found in a new provider. Most of us are taught for our whole lives, like we're on our own and we have to take care of number one. Nobody else is going to do it. Most financial seminars, even good Christian-based financial seminars, while they give helpful advice, they still train us to be our own provider. You know, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover and of, of Financial Peace. We do it regularly here. It's one of the best resources I've seen to help people get a handle on their finances, get out of debt, and move in the right direction. I really, really appreciate it. But even that, if you're not careful, you can become money-focused, and you're still going to look at yourself as your own provider, and the whole goal being independent so I can be the one. And I've got to tell you, from the very beginning, the goal of financial independence is broken because any sense of independence from the sovereign hand of God moving in our lives 
is going to become a stumbling block and a detriment. Your financial do-over isn't found in a new plan. It's found in a new provider. And all these plans that help us, and they might be very good, but they still train us to be our own provider. And in the process, they disqualify us from one of the most transformative aspects of our spiritual journey, this partnership with God in this area of resources. And I want to suggest to you this is a huge discipleship issue. It is a huge discipleship issue. There's a lot of Christian people who love God, they know the Word, they they want to serve Him, but they are being held back in their discipleship, their spiritual maturity, their growth, because of this issue of resources. Resources is something that's close to our heart. It's how we meet our needs. That's why it's so prone to idolatry. Because it's where we go to meet our needs, and that's why it is so important that we understand Your financial do-over isn't found in a new plan. It's found in a new provider. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, please turn over there because we're going to really settle here and kind of bring some truth from that passage of Scripture. It really is a beautiful passage of Scripture, okay? Because it is a seminar. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. It's a seminar on finances. And it reveals for us four choices that you're able to make healthy financial choices that you can make when you determine God is your provider and when you begin to walk in that. So I want to give that to you powerful choices that will change us and our whole financial landscape when we understand, wait a minute, God is my provider. Paul says this, uh, Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. This church had reached out and, and helped Paul, even financially, when he was in distress and supporting his ministry. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Listen to what he says, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of, our, of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Listen to verse 17, so important. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. We'll talk more about that later, but interesting to know that we have an account. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then he makes this promise to these people who've been generous. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's such a powerful passage. In those few verses, we have an entire seminar on healthy biblical finances, which all begins in this idea that God is our provider. My God will supply all your needs. So let's go through these real quickly. The first, we have the power when God is our provider to choose contentment over consumerism. We have the power to choose contentment over consumerism because Paul said, I'm content no matter what situation I find myself in. You, you need to understand how, uh, how anti and counterculture this idea of contentment is in this society of ours. Like I said, on a national level, we can't say no. On a personal level, we can't say no. But this is a biblical instruction. I have to tell you, the biblical center when it comes to finances is contentment. 
Some people say, no, no, you're supposed to be rich because you're a king's kid. You're a child of the king. And they'll preach at you and say, oh, you're all supposed to be rich. A lot of unfortunate evil has been done in the name of that doctrine. Okay? And it really doesn't make sense. You see in the New Testament, Peter going up to the temple, guy asks him for money. He says, silver and gold have I none. Well, if, if we're all supposed to be rich, why wasn't Peter rich? Yeah, no, we, biblically you can't defend the idea we're all supposed to be rich. But then others will say, well, no, we're all supposed to be poor. Well, that's not true either. No, the biblical center is contentment. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Because of Father, because He's your provider, because He's there, you can be content. And what that means is He wants to bless you abundantly, richly, extravagantly, no matter how much or how little you have in the bank. Wait a minute, can God do that? Stop and pause on the God part for a moment. He's God. Yes, yes, He can. He can bless you no matter how much. You, 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 well, with my salary, my... No, no, when you understand the gift of contentment, you, you need to know that you just became rich. You're a rich person. When you're content, you're rich. Because you're like, I got plenty. I got enough. You know, it's like, I just had a big meal. I'm stuffed. Oh, couldn't eat another bite. No, no, please, oh, pass that on. I, I'm full. That's what contentment means. I have plenty. And I understand in our culture, when everybody's buying more, buying bigger, there's a new device, new gadget, new something every six months that you've got to have. It's hard. But when you stop and realize we in this room are top 10% in the world, top 10% in the world when it comes to wealth and how much we have, you start stopping and thinking, whoa, contentment would change everything. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in this series called Do-Over. If you'd like to hear the full unedited message all over again and this series, it's available right now as a free download and you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're always invited to come visit and join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. See all the details, directions, and service times including the new Saturday night service also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210 210- 490-5262 as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church and we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.